Good morning, everyone. This is Dr. Patricia Bay. You're tuning in to Therapy in a Nutshell here on KCNR 96.5 FM, 1460 AM, your talk radio. Today, we're going to be talking about fear. And I want to talk about the things people fear. And I've, I've got to share with you what led up to me doing this show. Um, I started to recognize in myself this fear that's been rising recently. And you can call it political fear. You can call it fear for our country, um, vulnerability. I've, I've just really noticed it in myself. And so I was sitting there thinking the other day after I screamed the F-bomb at the TV about three times and went, gosh, this is so not like me. I, for starters, I don't yell at the inanimate objects. And secondly, I thought, why are you so afraid, Patty? What's going on with you? So I really sat with it for a while. It's that thing that I've been teaching my listeners called hold the dog poop, but I don't call it poop usually. And so I just kind of held that fear and said, what am I feeling? Because this is difficult. And so I I kind of ran through a gamut of things going, I'm afraid for my country. I feel like we're losing our identity of who we are and our safety and um, losing our standing in the world. And it's scary. And then I started saying, all right, so if we're losing, if you're feeling that, what what is the fear actually of? And it's the fear of being powerless, the fear of being vulnerable. And then I sat with that for a while and said, well, are you afraid you're going to get killed? Or what are you afraid of, Patty? And I said, I'm not afraid for myself. There is a very strong instinct in me that is protect my loved ones, protect my family, protect my kids, my grandkids, uh, protect the people that I love the most. And so I really sat with that fear of what if I can't protect the people that I love the most? And that made me sit with the powerlessness and the vulnerability. And those are extremely powerful and fearful emotions. So then I really was asking myself, what do people do that are less stable? Um, I don't particularly suffer from anxiety. I'm a very mood-stable person usually, except for, I guess, lately when I'm screaming the F-bomb at the TV. But um, I... I'm generally very, very stable. And so I thought, what about the people who already have anxiety or who who tend to be fearful of many other things? And they must really be suffering with the nature of uh, COVID pandemic fears and uh, things about our country and things about the world. And how do they process that and where do they put that? So after I sat with this for quite a while, actually, and really looked at it, I thought the way I could probably be of the most help to people out there struggling with this is to talk about fear itself and how that manifests in our life. Because maybe we can't fix this pandemic stuff right now, and maybe we have COVID, and maybe we can't fix um, the government or the things for our country Maybe we can't have any power over any of that, but maybe we can work on and shift the little fears that people feel. And they're not that little for a lot of people, but compared to those big, huge external fears, maybe if you focused on something, you could gain some mastery over. It would give you a little bit of coping space to deal with the big, huge political things that are happening. So let's go there. I want to talk to you about the things people fear. And so often, 
we think of fear is stuff outside of ourselves, that it's external. And when we feel that the things we need to be afraid of are outside ourselves and are external, then we start to feel powerless. When we feel powerless, we feel vulnerable. So in that space of being frightened and worried and things being outside of you, that can take on a life of its own and increase your anxiety and make you nervous and ruin your peace of mind and make you not sleep and irritable and yell things at the TV and do things like that because you're worried and you're scared. So stop for a minute and ask yourself, what do I tend to be afraid of? And if it's if it's um, a new Delta variant, and I guarantee you once Delta variant is done making people afraid, they'll come up with a new variant that'll be more scary because in fear, And fear outside of yourself that you have no control over is a control technique. It's a control technique by many, many factions and many parts of the government, many parts of people, um, businesses, and all sorts of stuff. So if we can make people afraid of something outside themselves that they are powerless over, then they can be under control. So let's take a look at that. And you put that aside for a minute, government stuff, pandemic stuff, and ask yourself, what do I tend to be afraid of in my life? And we're going to go through some of the basic things that I see and I've seen for the last 34 years in my private practice of what I see people tend to be afraid of. So um, the bottom line that I come to almost all the time is at some point the things that make you frightened, actually the bottom line is you're afraid of dying. And I differentiate differentiate between being dead and the process of how you get there, dying. Because some people are not afraid of being dead. They have a good faith foundation. They have a, a belief of what happens once they're not in use of their body, their container, any longer. Um but they still might be afraid of the process in which they get dead. So differentiate between I'm afraid of dying or I'm afraid of death, okay, because there is a difference. So the other core fear that happens is that people are often afraid of rejection. If I fail, if I'm not good enough, if you reject me, then you will leave me. If you leave me, the fear of abandonment, then part of me is afraid that that will take me out and take me under. There's that death thing again. So fear of failure can actually be a fear of rejection, which is actually a fear of abandonment, which is actually a fear of death or dying. So if you break it down like that, it kind of makes sense. Okay? And it and it becomes easier to see. Now, let's look at the flip side of failure, because now we're talking about fear of failure being the fear of rejection, being the fear of abandonment, which can be the fear of death or dying. The flip side of the fear of failure is the fear of success. And what's really interesting is the fear of success is actually the fear of failure. (laughs) And I know you're you're going, what? (laughs) Because that almost sounds convoluted. So let's look at the fear of success for a minute. If I do well, if I succeed and and fame and fortune comes my way because I succeed, 
the fear of failure creeps in. What if they figure out I'm a fraud and I'm really not good enough for what I supposedly achieved? What if I can't meet the expectations of those around me who now have higher and higher expectations as I become more and more successful? What if I eventually disappoint or people see through me and say that I'm not what they thought I was and I become a failure? So the fear of success actually becomes the fear of failure. And then we go back down the line again. If I'm successful and I can't keep up with that success and I disappoint and I don't meet expectations and then I fail, then what if I'm rejected and disrespected? People don't love me anymore. And then they leave me. Fear of abandonment. And then if they abandon me and I'm lost and alone and, you know, in the corner by myself looking like a forlorn individual, am I going to die? Am I going to have some kind of emotional and or physical death because this path of rejection and abandonment has taken me out? So you can see how powerful fear is. And it takes on a life of its own and begins to control your subconscious and your psyche and try to motivate you to do something, like even run around in circles with, like a chicken with your head cut off or scream the F-bomb at the TV or do something that is you trying to gain some control and some power so you don't have to be afraid. All right, we're going to go to break. And when we come back, I want to talk, talk you through some of the phobias and some of the other types of fears that people have and get them related back to how you can see how they control your mind. We'll be back in a minute. Welcome back to Therapy in a Nutshell. This is Dr. Patty, Dr. Patricia Bay, and we're talking about the things people fear. So let's talk a little bit about phobias, because people will say, I have a phobia of fill in the blank. My favorite one is someone that says, I have a fear of snakes. I have a fear of big snakes, little snakes, and sticks that look like snakes. I always think that's funny. But people can tell you that they have a tendency to be afraid of certain things. Um, like if you asked somebody, do you have any phobias? They might say, oh, God, I'm afraid of flying. I'm, I'm afraid of airplanes and going somewhere. So I've never really been anywhere. And if I do go somewhere, I have to take Xanax and I have to um, just kind of put myself out. And I white knuckle with the seats on the plane and stuff like that. And I can tell you, adding fear of COVID to the airplane has not helped people with fear of phobias, although it might have been distracting to a few. But now they're afraid of not only dying on the airplane, but they get afraid of dying of the pandemic while on the big metal thing that they're afraid of. So people can tell you what they're afraid of. Um, and I'm going to tell you some of the things that I've dealt with because there's a lot of really cool therapy to deal with phobias. Uh, one of them is what we call successive approximations where you use hypnosis to slowly bring somebody close to the actual inter, inter, um, interacting with the thing they're afraid of. So one of the biggest ones I hear of is a, f- a fear of snakes and spiders. 
Okay, now sometimes it's all insects. And sometimes it's for a reason. Like, um, I had a, a real bad phobia of bees for a while because I'm deathly allergic to bees. But I worked on that and decided I didn't have to be afraid of bees because I wasn't really afraid of them. I was afraid of being stung and going into anaphylactic shock. So one of the coping skills I'm going to teach you later is how to deal with a specific fear. But people tend to be afraid of a specific insect. Occasionally all insects, but I don't see that very often. Um, Flying is another one that I hear often. Um, Afraid of heights is something that I have dealt with a lot in my private practice. And people have varying degrees of afraid of heights. Um, Sometimes fear of heights also relates to like a fear of crossing a bridge. And they'll generalize the fear of heights to I'm afraid of bridges. And so they can tell you that, that they have a specific fear of bridges. Fear of enclosed spaces, claustrophobia, Um, That is so common that people that do MRIs ask everybody if they have a fear of enclosed spaces. If they do, they give you a tranquilizer to calm you down and help you get through it. And there's also open MRIs so that you don't feel like you're enclosed. People have a fear of dogs. Um, Often when there is past dog trauma in their life or in their awareness, somebody they know um, was hurt by a dog or they were hurt by a dog, Um, It's not uncommon for people to be afraid of lightning or thunder or storms. Uh, A fear of needles is not uncommon either. I dealt with that one for a good first part of my life because when I was 10, my best friend got an immunization, passed out, hit his head on the scale in the doctor's office, got a blood clot, in his brain and died three days later. So in my little kid head, needles equaled death. And it took me until I was 25 and doing hypnosis to figure out that I had that connection. Because people used to tell me all the time, needles don't hurt. And I'd say, I know. It wasn't about pain. And I didn't, they would say, well, what are you afraid of? And i go, I don't know. I just hate needles. And when I figured out that in my brain needles equaled death, that was the pathway to letting go of my fear and phobia of needles. So you can come about a phobia in many different ways, but it often begins with something very benign. Let me give you an example. Like let's say somebody really hates fur. They don't like fur jackets. They don't like fur collars. They don't like fake fur. They don't like real fur. They they just are like, oh, I can't stand that. And they've got this almost kind of phobic response to it. Sometimes if you trace that back, something happened to them that harmed them, traumatized them, that maybe had to do with a pet or an animal or something that they associated with the fur. So they didn't end up with a phobia of the animal that they felt frightened by. They ended up generalizing it to a fear of fur. A perfect example of this is we tease my eldest daughter all the time that she really hates chickens. She hates chickens with a passion. (laughs) In fact, she hates chickens so much that sometimes people send her chicken gifts and things like that. (laughs) It's kind of funny. Um, But but then she laughs. Like now she laughs because we wouldn't do that. But when she was little, she fell off swing at preschool, hit her head, and they had chickens in the yard, and this chicken came over and pecked at her and scared her, and this 
other one used to chase her around. And I know she, if she's listening right now, she'd tell me, no, you have a story wrong, Mom. It's this. But it's something like that. Which she generalized to a fear of chickens. Then she generalized it to a fear of all birds, that she just hated birds. Birds are bad, dangerous. And that's a generalization that the phobia of birds began with a very specific incident. So if you have a phobia, if you have something that you go, I'm totally afraid of, an object like snakes or spiders, flying, bridges, heights, enclosed spaces, dogs, lightning, thunder, storms, needles, um, chickens, (laughs) fear of enclosed spaces. If you've got something that you can say, I'm afraid of that, then stop and say, when did that phobia begin in my life? What kicked it off? If you have a fear of public speaking and you get all anxious and you're, you kind of go white and your palms sweat, what kicked off that fear of public speaking? And it wouldn't surprise me at all if you were doing hypnosis and looking for the original origin, which is what I do when I do hypnosis with people. We're looking for the event or the causation of the phobia. It wouldn't surprise me if you were in second grade giving a book report and kids laughed at something. You made a mistake or something happened. And you associated that laughter with you and being inept. And it made you scared and not wanting to do a book report in public again. And now as an adult, you've generalized that to, I don't like speaking in front of anybody, uh, especially at work or a meeting or uh, at a funeral or anything. I just don't want to get up and talk. I start getting really scared. So going back to the original event is a huge part of healing the phobia. Then once you get in touch with how did it start, and even if you can't find it at the exact event, you might say, you know, I remember when I was five and we drove across the Golden Gate Bridge all the time to go to the San Francisco Zoo, and I always loved going across the bridge. It wasn't until later in life that I decided I was afraid of crossing bridges. When did that happen? Because I wasn't afraid when I was little, so I don't know. I can't quite put my finger on it. But what you could put put your finger on is there was a time in your life that you were not afraid. That's a powerful awareness as well, and I would utilize that in hypnosis. So then as we begin to heal that phobia, we want to do successive approximations. I dealt with a woman who was extremely fearful of bridges, and it really limited her life. She got to where she couldn't cross even a pretty wide highway bridge that would go across a river and wasn't very long. She'd have kind of a panic attack when she had to do any kind of bridge. And it it was debilitating to her. So she came in for therapy about it, and we did hypnosis on it. And I don't remember what her original cause was, but we really started to, to recognize that she wasn't afraid of anything else. And her fear of crossing bridges became her fear of heights, which was her fear of dying. So she figured out, I'm not afraid of being up high. I'm afraid of dying. Well, how would you die on a bridge? Well, the bridge would collapse or I'd drive off the edge or, and she had all these kind of scenarios in her head. So when we did hypnosis, we did what's called successive approximations. I would have her visualize like the bridge she was most afraid of was the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco. It's a big, huge suspension bridge. It's beautiful. And 
we would have, uh, in her hypnosis, she would drive toward the bridge where she could see it. And then she could pull over, pull off, stay there for a little bit, look at the bridge, and then turn around and go home. So in the success of approximations in the hypnosis, she got closer and closer to the bridge. At one point, she gets out of her car and walks over to the pedestrian crossing of at the base of the bridge and looks at that and touches the bridge, moves closer and closer to the idea of going across the bridge. So that helped her diminish the fear and start to reevaluate it from uh, am I truly afraid of dying on that bridge scenario? Because she had wrapped it up so huge in her mind that she didn't know how to calm it down. So phobias can be like that, and they can take on a life of their own, and they can generalize to afraid of other things. So social fears kind of go in with that phobia. Sometimes people aren't afraid of spiders or snakes or things like that, but they're really afraid of social events or being out interacting with others or going to that barbecue with the whole family. They might have anxiety attacks about going to Thanksgiving dinner with their family because they really don't want to be there, feel like a captive audience, have to interact. Uh, And then what we get is back to fear of failure, fear of judgment, rejection, abandonment, which is actually that fear of death and dying. So I hope you're following me and beginning to build this awareness of why people tend to fear things and how it begins to feel like it's outside of them. It's external and they have no control. So if you're getting anything so far, I want you to recognize that the fear of fill in the blanks is inside you. It's internal. And that's where we can begin to heal it. All right, we're going to go to break, and when we come back, we're going to work some more on the things people fear. Welcome back to Therapy in a Nutshell. This is Dr. Patty. You are listening to the beautiful Native American flute music of Randy McGinnis. Randy is a Native American Awards winner from Lifetime Achievement Award, Native American Flutist of the Year. Um, CDs has won, have won awards. He's got numerous awards to his name. He's played all over the world and played with the Prague Symphony, the Knoxville Symphony. He has six different CDs, and they're all very different and very beautiful. If you go to his website, randymcginnis.com, you can check out his CDs and you can even buy them from his website and just enjoy his music and let it help you quell your anxiety because it's very peaceful music. Thank you, Randy, for letting us use your music on our show. Okay, we're talking about fears and the fear is mostly, fear that we feel is mostly about being powerless. And if we are powerless to control that thing in which we fear, then it's that fear of being vulnerable. So words that go along with fearfulness are, I want control, I want to have some power here, I want to be able to make my own decisions, I want to decide how much risk I want to take or not take. I don't want to be vulnerable to other people controlling my life 
which then makes me feel powerless, which then makes me more afraid. So in this whole political atmosphere that we have going right now, it's what I see people struggling with. It's it's not, I don't even need to talk about which side of the political spectrum anybody is on. It's not about that. It's about how much control do I feel I have? And can I feel safe in this environment, in this political environment, in this pandemic environment? What do I need to feel safe? And what is amping me up to feel unsafe? So the powerlessness and the vulnerability becomes huge. And then what we have is the people who are super fearful on one side of the fence and the people who are not fearful on the other side of the fence. And a lot of people want to put that into political categories, that one side or the other is a certain political party. I don't even find that to be true. What I find is the fearful versus the not the not fearful. And there are a lot of people in this world that simply are not fear-based people. Like They will say, I'm really not afraid of anything. We know they are. They're afraid of dying or they're afraid of losing people. It's one of the things many fear the most is, for example, your kids dying or a family member or losing your parents or losing somebody that they love. They might not be afraid of anything else in the whole world, but you start talking about their kids and you'll find out there's a vulnerability there. So the the fearful versus the not fearful, the not afraid people, end up being a vine for control. The fearful people want to control the not fearful people and tell them what they need to do so that they don't have to feel afraid. And then the not fearful people say, don't try to control me. Don't tell me how to live my life. Don't tell me what I should be afraid of. That's not how I live my life. And you're not going to make me afraid so that I will do behaviors that make you try not to be afraid. So do you hear the control issues there and the powerlessness of either side and the vulnerability of either side and the rising up of trying to get their way? whether it's the fearful people saying, jump through these hoops so that you make me not afraid, or it's the non-fearful people saying, don't try to make me jump through your hoops to make you not afraid because I'm not afraid. So it becomes a battle. And then people try to justify and put their spin on it so that they can say, oh, it's all the fill in the blank, this political party that's doing that, or it's all of that political party that's doing that. And they try to categorize it. So let's start to look at fear. And is fear a healthy thing to make us be more cautious? Do we need fear to do what's right, to stay cautious? Do you need to be afraid of heights to not hang off the edge of a very tall building? And I know I just made people who have fear of heights quake in their stomach. Going, ah, 10-story building and the edge. Oh, no. Go back, back, back up, back up. Do you need to be afraid to tell you what's safe and what's not safe? There are people that say, yes, we need to make people very, very afraid in order to keep me safe, you safe, everyone safe. My contention here is that if you know 
what you're afraid of. And you can start to manage it differently. Instead of being externally afraid, motivated by guilt and shame and fear of loss and fear of failure and fear of death, instead of using those things to motivate good behavior, safety behavior, it's not a powerful thing. It makes people rise up and say, no, don't make me powerless. Don't make me vulnerable. When we empower people to do what they know makes them feel safe and they're allowed to use good judgment to feel safe, they will. So you take somebody who doesn't like being on the 10th story of a building near the edge and they know that what they need to feel safe is to stand back. Okay, stand back. They don't need to control the person who says, I can look over the edge and feel good. As long as I have a grip on the banister, I'm cool. I can look over. They can say, no, I need to stand back here. Okay. Everybody gets to do what they need to do to feel safe. So does the person who stands back need to say to the other one, back up, back up, back up. You're making me afraid. No. We have to be responsible for our own safety. And we have to recognize that we are not powerless and we're not vulnerable. So let's go back to using fear to control others. It is not the best motivator. When people are anxious and nervous and in heightened anxiety because they're afraid, it does not make them make good decisions. It does not help heal things. It actually makes things take on a fear-based anxiety that is not good for anyone. And it's not good for healing illness. It's not good for people getting along with each other and encouraging each other to do what they need to do to feel empowered. So fear begins to equal anxiety, which begins to equal paranoia, which then gets run by guilt and shame, which creates a fear of future failure a fear of failing again. Guilt and shame is about feeling like you did something wrong, that you failed in some way. So when we use guilt and shame to motivate people to be afraid and to be paranoid, and then what we expect out of them is cooperative good behavior, that is not the formula that makes cooperative empowered behavior happen. That is the formula that makes people generalize all their phobias, all their fears, pull them all out, and not cooperate because it's not a good motivator. So what is a good motivator? It's, it's not utilizing fear to gain power over somebody else. It's trying to empower them within themselves. So getting somebody to panic doesn't work for them to do better. So let's look a whole, at a whole different example. Let's look at social anxiety, which a lot of people have. They don't want to go out and interact with people. They're much more comfortable being alone at home watching Netflix on the couch. Um, they're not somebody who wants to get up and speak at a business meeting. Um, if they were going to come be on the radio, they'd be panicking for weeks if they knew it was coming. So getting people to panic about being out socially 
are getting them all wound up about it, are talking to them about how dangerous it is, how people are going to reject you and you're going to be failing and people are going to think you're an idiot and you're going to stumble all around and not make sense and they're going to see what a buffoon you are. That is not the way to make them want to go out and be, to interact with others and do their best. The way to get them to do better is to help build their self-esteem, empower them, make them see that they have something to contribute and something to give, and let them feel centered and empowered when they go off to do that social thing. They do better. When I deal with people with social phobias, whether it's public speaking or performance anxiety or just they're kind of a recluse or they're even downright agoraphobic, what we talk about is what are you afraid will happen if you're out there? And then as we define those fears, we look at ways to problem solve. So instead of panicking, it's what can you do about that? So you're going to go to this function for your work and you're kind of man- it's kind of mandatory that you go to this social function. You don't really want to. You hate these things. You panic about them. So instead of panicking and instead of winding yourself up, what can you do to reassure yourself? So they might have a coping skill that says, okay, I'm going to go with my best friend coworker. I'm going to make sure I have a few opening lines for small talk. I'm going to um, have a couple lines in my head that change the subject back to something that I'm comfortable with, like the weather or, I don't know, dogs or something I can talk about that doesn't give me anxiety. So they have a few coping skills lined up and ready to go. And I have them practice them. And so we address some of their biggest social fears by having several coping mechanisms in place. And then we have a fail-safe, like, okay, you're getting super anxious, you can't think of any of your coping skills, you're standing there looking like you feel like you're an idiot and you don't know what to do, time to go to the bathroom. You excuse yourself and say, I'll be back in a minute. And you go and you recenter and you breathe and you remember some of your lines and you maybe pull a piece of paper out of your purse or your wallet and say, what are my coping skills? And you go over them, you take a deep breath and you recenter and you go back out. That's an example of dealing with a phobia or a problem or a fear from a problem-solving way, not a panic way. All right, we're going to go to break. And when we come back, I'm going to take you through some of those coping mechanisms so that maybe you can address your fears, whether it's politics, pandemic, spiders, or death and dying. Let's look at ways to do it differently so you feel empowered and not panicked. We'll be back in a minute. Welcome back to Therapy in a Nutshell. This is Dr. Patty, and we are talking about the things people fear. So let's look at some coping skills here. Let's look at ways to do this whole earth school journey that can be so full of adversity and fear. Let's look at how do we kind of feel like we got some power over all this stuff we're afraid of. Um, one of the things that's really important is 
fear versus awareness. When we're afraid, we have to do that thing that I was telling you about in the beginning of the show. We have to stop and hold that which we are afraid of. Hold the dog poop and say, and let me explain that for those of you that haven't heard that analogy of mine. What I say is when something of adversity hits us and we have to look at it or deal with it, um, think of it as a fresh, steamy, nasty pile of dog poop dumped in your hands. You can fling it around the room. You can throw it back at somebody. You can stick it in your heart and really mess yourself up. Um, you can pretend it's not there, which a lot of people do. Um, or you can stop and say, whoa, what is this? And you can really look at it and experience it and feel it. How did this get here? What's it about? Why is it so powerful to me? And you can really dig into it and look at it. And then when you finally feel like you've explored it and looked at it, then you can wash your hands and be rid of it. Or wash your hands until it presents itself another time. Or be aware that you have some growth to do with that, or you need to get some help, or there's a book you need to read, or you need to listen to Dr. Patty's podcast, Therapy in a Nutshell, or you need to do something to be growing and evolving. So in the beginning of the show, I was talking about how I recognized me being upset about all the political stuff and the COVID stuff and the, all the fear and paranoia that's being thrown around made me have to sit and say, what exactly are you feeling? And why is this so stressful to you? And this is not like you to scream the F-bomb at the TV. <laughs> it totally isn't like me. And so I just said, what is going on with you? That was my call to consciousness that I didn't just sit and hold that adversity and say, where is this coming from and what's going on? So recognizing fear is your call to consciousness for the awareness of the underlying motivation of that fear and exactly what are you afraid of. And a call to consciousness that you're afraid is anger. Anger, frustration, irritability, um, trying to gain your own power, trying to be more controlling, bullying, um, being super opinionated, spouting off your opinion at high volume, screaming F you at the TV. I mean, all of that stuff is a call to consciousness because as you are trying to get more powerful and bigger, picture bigger like a monster, you are trying to take control of your fear. That fear should be a call to awareness. What exactly am I afraid of? And why am I afraid so then we go back to those things. If I'm afraid of fill in the blank, whether it's spiders or snakes or COVID or political stuff or afraid for our country, if I'm afraid, what exactly am I afraid is going to happen? Am I going to be powerless and vulnerable? Am I going to be rejected, abandoned? Am I going to suffer deep loss from people that I love? Um, am I f afraid for my kids or my parents or my family um, or someone, my spouse, my partner? Or am I afraid for someone that I love? And if I lose them, what's going to happen to me? Am I going to survive? Um, is that going to feel like a loss and abandonment and I'm going to crawl under some rock and be lost and alone? And if I feel that way, am I feeling that I'm going to die? So I become afraid of death. And then if I'm afraid of death, am I afraid of how I'm going to get to being dead? 
Because often it's not a fear of being dead. It's a fear of how we get dead. And I say it like that on purpose because sometimes that's the thing we cannot control. So you're following the loss, the awareness here. The, um, the fear equals a call to consciousness. So look at your awareness. And then you look at what exactly am I afraid of and what I'm afraid what I'm afraid will happen if that occurs. Okay? So when I recognize that fear is simply fear, it does not have power over me. It is not outside of me. It's inside of me. And I am fearing a certain pattern of things that will happen. Then I can stop and say, how am I going to deal with this differently? I want you to be aware of something. Being aware that there is danger or there's a difficult situation or there's adversity being plopped into your hands doesn't mean that all of a sudden you get stupid. Okay? Like let's take the example of a spider. If all of a sudden a black widow spider was crawling up your arm, would you be going, ah, and toss it off? Would you shake your arm? Would you like rapid heartbeat and go, oh my gosh, a black widow was crawling up my arm? Yes, because you are not stupid. All right? You don't have to get stupid, but that fear would be a normal fear. All right? If you almost got hit by a car and you went, oh gosh, I stepped back just in time and your heart's pounding, that's a normal, natural fear. All right? And it doesn't mean that you don't have to become stupid. Um, that you know that a snake, you don't have to be a fearful person of snakes, but you're smart enough, hopefully, not to walk up to a rattlesnake, um, to give it a wide berth, to back up. There are certain things in life that are dangerous, and you need to practice safety and caution. Okay? Now, it really helps if you are educated on the things you need to be cautious about. If you don't know what a rattlesnake looks like, you might walk right up to it and think, oh, that's one of those garter snakes, and I can just pick that up. Oops. So education and awareness and knowing what you're getting into and whatever environment you're in can help make you unafraid and prepared. Okay? Um I'll give you another example. I really, really dislike earthquakes. I was in the 1971 Northridge earthquake, and it was not pretty. And it left me with, uh, I just hate earthquakes. I have a whole safety plan for earthquakes because that's how I cope with fear. I go, okay, if there's an earthquake, what would I do? Where are my exits? And I know how to get out of here. So I was having an MRI once, and I said to the MRI guy, "Um, what happens if there's an earthquake? And he goes, if there's an earthquake, I'm crawling in there with you because you're in the safest place in the building. And I went, oh, okay. So now what if I had translated that into a fear of an enclosed space? No, I was afraid of an earthquake. And I needed to be aware of that. And I needed to speak it out loud. And I needed to make sure that I had my coping skills intact. And when he said that, I started laughing and went, okay, check. It was good. Um, And if he had said, uh, you get out as fast as you can, I would have gone, okay, where are the exits? Okay, I'm good. And then I would have let go of the fear because that would have been the best I could do with that awareness. All right. So let's go back to when we are afraid, we have to know what we are afraid of. And we have to look at the underlying fears that are motivated by that. So let's give a whole other example. Let's say that 
uh, you're a professional and somebody's suing you for something. They've decided that you did something to harm them and they're suing you and and you're like, oh, oh, no, I hate this. And all of a sudden your anxiety is through the roof. That's the dog poop plopped in your hands. Okay, so you look at that and you go, oh, this dog poop's named lawsuit. And you start to look at it. What am I afraid of? And then you go back through it. I'm afraid of looking like a failure. I'm afraid of people thinking badly of me, losing my reputation. I'm afraid of financial issues with this. Um, This feels unfair. I don't feel like I did anything wrong. Then there's the attached guilt and shame and worry. And then there's the projecting out with the constant what ifs. Okay, what if this goes to court? What if I have to hire an attorney? What if, uh, what if, what if, what if, what if? And you escalate in your brain. And by the time you have done this in the unhealthy way, and you're just massively afraid, and you're crying, and you're pouring your third glass of wine trying to cope with it, and nothing's getting better, and you're becoming a blubbering mess, that's not dealing with the fear. Plopping it in your hands and recognizing, oh, I hate this. And really looking at what you're afraid of. And getting back down to that rejection and abandonment and fear of failure and that emotional death that could occur of your career and your psyche and your self-esteem and your respect. And you're just holding that going, oh. Then you recognize that your fear is making you do what ifs. Then you make your coping skills plan. If this goes forward, this is what I will do. This is how I'll cope. This is who I'll look to for advice. This is how I will recenter. This is what I know about myself. I know I would never purposely harm anybody. I know that I'm a competent professional. Fill in the blank of your profession. I have uh, resources at my disposal that I will They will activate and utilize if this goes forward. Um, I have a list of coping skills. And when I get too fearful and I'm afraid of failure and rejection, I have a set of coping skills to help me recenter. Okay? So that's a really typical scenario of something happens that feels unfair or out of our control or um, something that could what if itself into something horrible. The secret is to recognize that all of a sudden you're afraid and all of a sudden some adversity has been plopped into your hands and you need to take a good look at that and you need to go to the underlying issues of which you are afraid. Okay? I'm not saying that it's super easy and sometimes you need a tour guide. You need a good therapist to help you through that or you need a real calm Um, introspective person who can help you look at it objectively. Don't pick a super anxious person. Don't pick somebody who will help you what if the situation to death and make your fear worse. Somebody that will help you calm and center. So I hope this show has helped you look at exactly the things that you might be afraid of and what other people are afraid of. And let's recognize that facing the political and pandemic fears that are floating around so much are not what are going to motivate people to do extraordinary things to be safe. We have to empower people to be smart and to look at their own resources and to 
recognize that they have some power here to keep themselves and their families safe. And that's really important. Fear does not motivate anyone in a good direction. So I hope you got some coping skills. Tune into my podcast, Dr. Patricia Bay, Therapy in a Nutshell. And I just want to thank you for tuning in today, where I just want to help heal the world one hour at a time. The news from Town Hall is brought to you on KCNR Shasta Reading by Shasta Regional Medical Center. Your life, your health, your choice. Shasta Regional Medical Center.